Good morning. Welcome to those in the Fellowship Hall and those joining us online also today. As we continue to work our way through the Gospel of Matthew, today we are focusing in on Matthew 13. It's a book full of Jesus' parables, stories that he tells in order to teach. And we're going to be looking just briefly at several of those again today. So again, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app or you'd like to borrow a Bible as we work through this chapter, it might be helpful for you to find out how it's all laid out as we look at them today. But to dive into this chapter, we're actually going to start with verse 10 because I think before we look at these parables themselves, you too might be asking the same question the disciples were asking Jesus. Why parables? Why do you choose to teach in this way, through story and metaphor? And some people just naturally use metaphor and symbol in how they express or process meaning or truth. And those kind of people tend to become literature majors or poets or pastors. <laughs> but some people really prefer to have their communication totally straight up. And they find metaphor and symbol to be an unclear and frustrating way to communicate. And it might not surprise you that statistically, more people fall into that second category in the world. And I'm sure that was also statistically true when Jesus was teaching. So you can imagine why the disciples would ask him this question. Jesus, we are trying to get a message across. So why won't you just straight out say what you want to say? Why all these stories? Why don't you just tell people straight up? who you are, what's going to happen, and what you want them to do. Wouldn't that save us some time? <laughs> Why do you speak to the people in parables? And I can understand that if at first Jesus' answer to this bothers you, because in short, he seems to be saying, I speak in parables so not everyone will get what I'm trying to say. But why would Jesus try to hide his message from people? What's the purpose of teaching if you're expecting people not to get it? Well, to understand Jesus' answer, you have to know the audience to whom Jesus was speaking, both then and now. Jesus didn't choose this teaching method because he didn't understand human nature. <laughs> he chose it because he understood human nature all too well. Do you remember hearing that Jesus taught his disciples, don't cast your pearls before swine or else they will turn and trample them? Jesus is speaking precious, eternal spiritual truths about a kingdom God is opening up in a completely new way than anyone expected, inviting people to trust God's heart for things they would never imagine. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of heaven near to us by his work of grace on our behalf. And for those who are willing to let themselves believe that God is at work to reach them with this good news, he will reveal more and more of what this kingdom means for you. To those who have open hearts, more will be given. But most people, when they first encounter something they don't understand, something new that seems scary or opposite of what they've already decided, their first reaction will be rejection, hostility, scorn, mocking, belittling. What we don't understand, we fear. And out of fear, we mock, oppose, or attack. That is human nature. So Jesus, why do you teach in parables? 
Because when people first encounter something they don't understand, they often lock into fight or flight. (laughs) The walls go up and they're done listening. They forcefully reject what they don't understand. But it's really hard to forcefully reject or refute a story. You can try to mock and dismiss Jesus as meaningless, as just a teller of stories, and many people have tried. But no attempt to discredit the speaker will silence the story. Those images once presented just keep working their way into the heart. You see, parables have a way of evading those knee-jerk methods of scoffing and belittling that are our world's defensive weapons of choice. So while it might sound right to us that it's always best just to communicate raw truth, take it or leave it, Sometimes the direct approach isn't actually the way into the heart because that approach will not often get through our defenses. Sometimes the best way to communicate is the slower way. And what a parable does is reframe something that people think they already know by placing the issue in a completely different setting. And that gives the emotional distance to be able to look at things more objectively. And when we're able to look through a different lens, seeing it from a different perspective, by means of our own journey with the story and at our own pace, we may come to wonder if there is a truth that we haven't quite seen yet. And from that place, we can truly ask the question, so what does this mean for me? What is Jesus saying in this for me? That is how Jesus teaches His approach is not debate and conquer, win and lose. He invites us to ponder his kingdom way with him. He leads us into new ways of thinking about what matters in our world by showing us his eternal kingdom viewpoint, leading us into it through story, stories that help us begin to see where he is at work in our stories too. In the same way, have you noticed that Jesus didn't often come right out and say, I am the Christ? I believe it was for the same reason, because he knew the knee-jerk human response to that truth would just be flat-out rejection. No, you're not. (laughs) What would that accomplish? Walls thrown up, hearts closed, conversation over. No, because Jesus knows human nature so well, that is not what he did. Instead, he started by showing in his actions, in miracles, in compassion, in his teaching, in his wisdom, that God was doing something new in him. And only then, instead of telling, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Before you answer, think, why do you say that? What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you experienced in me that led you to believe what you're about to say? And when Peter proclaims Jesus to be Lord and Christ, Jesus affirms what his deductive reasoning has led him to is, in fact, the truth. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to say he's Lord just because he told us to. I mean, it's a good place to start, (laughs) but what he wants is for us to confess him as Lord because we know he is, 
because we know we can trust in him for what he has shown himself to be to you and to me, because he has shown us the depth of his love. The testimony of his identity is in his character, lived in action in self-giving love by the cross, by his resurrection, by his showing us a kingdom that has its foundation, not in our worthiness, but in his grace. So Jesus teaches in parables. So those who were looking for immediate ammunition to rebuke and discredit him out of their fear would have nothing in their hands to throw. I mean, how do you heckle a parable? Imagine, Jesus, what are you saying about God? A sower went out to sow some seed. No, he didn't. (laughs) See, it doesn't work. (laughs) Knee-jerk reaction has to give way either to actual listening or giving up. Jesus teaches in parables that for those who don't have a willingness to hear, even what they have will be taken away. But for those who do, who bring even the smallest hope of their hearts to hear him, they will continue to receive more and more. The seed of the word will grow. You see, Jesus knows that the building of trust takes time. It takes hearing the stories. It takes experiencing his faithfulness. It takes receiving the gift of faith because he knows people. He knows we have to be brought along to understanding one little proof at a time, one little aha moment of faith at a time before we can dare take the leap of faith to say of Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. So that's what Jesus does, both then and now. Jesus teaches in parables, not because he's avoiding telling the truth. It's because he knows it's the only way we will lay down our defensiveness enough to actually hear it and receive it and begin to believe that in this kingdom, salvation really does come in the receiving and his work done in us and for us. You see, Jesus is already fighting the assumption that the kingdom God's Messiah will build must be like the one David built, a financially beneficial, earthly power-restoring dynasty on earth. That's what they expect, what they understand. And he can't argue them out of that conviction. He must show them a different vision. Jesus teaches us to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if we're going to pray that, we have to know how it is in heaven. (laughs) So in these parables, Jesus is leading us to imagine the unimaginable, a completely different vision of what life in God's kingdom is and will be and is even here among us. But you can only explain something that's beyond someone's experience to them by referencing things they have experienced, things they do understand. For example, when I was in West Africa trying to explain to people what it's like to live in Minnesota when it's 30 below, I had to resort to, have you ever held a piece of ice in your hand? Yes. Do you know what that feels like on your skin? Yes. The air is that cold. (laughs) Only then did they say, why do you live there? (laughs) You can only explain to people something they haven't experienced through something they have. 
So when explaining the unexplainable to human beings, how the kingdom of heaven is, what it's like, how it feels, what it means, how we live in it, Jesus can only begin with the earthly metaphors of what we know. The kingdom of heaven is like this. That is why he teaches in parables. So let's take a look at some of Jesus' words and see what you begin to see about the kingdom that he comes to open to us. We'll start in Matthew 13, 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. What do you hear about Jesus' kingdom here? The question, God, aren't you good? So then why is there bad in the world? There's an enemy of our souls at work here among God's good blessings. But in Jesus' kingdom, it's not the job of the workers, of you and me, to try to identify and root out the weeds. We're not equipped enough to do so without causing damage to what's good growing alongside it. Jesus taught something very similar about us trying to take a speck out of somebody else's eye when we have a log in our own. We have this tendency to think it's our job to identify and eliminate the bad. But apparently that judgment belongs to someone with a much higher pay grade than you and me. There's the work of God who plants the good in our lives, and there's the work of the evil one who plants evil. But until the end of time, we're going to live in the midst of both. So if we are the workers, and it's not our job to pull out the bad by the roots, then what is our job? What is our work? Could it be to nurture the good? So it can grow strong despite the weeds and leave the judging to the Lord of the harvest? What does Jesus' parable tell you about what it means for you to live as one who belongs to his kingdom among the people and situations of your life today? Matthew 13, verse 31. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. How does the kingdom grow in these stories? Is it through conquering people? No. Jesus' kingdom emerges and grows organically in ways that can move so slowly, transforming things, you hardly realize they're changing. Small beginnings might lead to a growth that you can't explain, like the growing of a seed. 
or they might come through his presence along with the cooperation of our faithful, steady work. Like a woman needs yeast into 60 pounds of flour. That takes a while. (laughs) If you've ever made bread, you know that is a lot of steady, tiring, time-consuming, faithful working. But in the end, as that work is surrendered and released, that little amount of yeast will make all those 60 pounds of dough rise into a bread that nourishes. The Lord's presence plus you faithfully serving can become something more than you would ever imagine. His work is often unseen, but it transforms people in a powerful and practical way. Like the growing of a mustard seed into a shade-producing plant. Like the yeast that transforms flat and lifeless dough into nourishing, fluffy bread. What does that teach you about how the Lord works in your life and mine, how he works in the world? Is this a different image than what our instant gratification culture teaches us to use when we define our answers of what is and isn't? Are there things that you have been praying for that are on the way to becoming the answer he has for you rather than being something that is or isn't? If the kingdom is like this, What does that say about how God is working in your life right now? Are you being grown to become a shelter? To help nourish a spiritual, emotional, or physical need in the world? What is the Lord growing in you right now? Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is worth more than anything on earth, and discovering that it is within your grasp is all joy. It's the greatest of all treasures because it's being in the presence of God. As the psalmist says, your love is better than life. Nothing I desire compares with you. But Jesus also says in Matthew 13, 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Whereas before, the kingdom was a treasure, and we were the ones stumbling upon it and claiming it with joy. Now Jesus compares the kingdom to a merchant The kingdom is known in a someone, a someone who is intentionally seeking out a pearl of great value. And when he finds it, he pays everything he has to make it his. You are not the kingdom, beloved. You are the pearl. And the king of this kingdom is the one who came seeking you to lay down his life on the cross, to pay everything he had to make you his forever. The kingdom is like a treasure, a jackpot prize that we stumble upon and realize it's ours for the claiming. The kingdom is like a person who came looking for you and me to pay the price so we can be his forever. The kingdom is worth everything to us. We are worth everything to our king. 
What do these parables tell you about Jesus' kingdom? Matthew 13, 52. Jesus said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. There is an ancient law, a foundation of loving God and loving neighbor that the Lord calls us to treasure, to learn to walk in the ways that honor God and bless your neighbor. We seek to honor and walk in the way of holiness because the one we love is holy. But alongside the treasure of the law, understanding the things that matter to God, is the new and irreplaceable treasure of the gospel. The good news that in Jesus Christ, the kingdom has come near to us. He came to seek and save us, to give us the treasure of this kingdom as ours forever. Not because we have been able to live up to his standard of holiness, but because he chooses to freely give us his righteousness. As we offer only our desire to receive his forgiveness, his grace, his invitation to life with him. A new treasure alongside the old. What do you hear Jesus telling you about his kingdom? Where you see it at work in you, in us, in the world today? How is he whispering to your heart to sneak the truth of his grace past your defensive walls in these new images of love? So many times as we stand up here and preach the word of God, what we hope to leave you with is a nugget of truth that you can take with you for the week. And if you have some of those that you're chewing on from this, praise God for that. But honestly, what I'm praying you will take from today is a better understanding of how the word of God works in you, in your life. Jesus is the living word of God, and his parables, his stories, his teaching always lead not just to a moral or a practice, but to himself, to his power, his saving and redeeming love that is at work for you and for me and for this world. The parables of the kingdom are meant to show us who our king is. And the more we let them sit in our minds and our hearts, the more the Holy Spirit will use Jesus' words to sink past our defenses and reveal how he is working right now in us and in the world. So my prayer this week is that you will find some time to sit with the word of God and to ask the Lord to begin to teach you to imagine his unimaginable kingdom of love that's right here for you, the treasure beyond all treasures in the way of our King Jesus at work in us and for us. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, storyteller, speaker of truth, worker of miracles, healer of the broken Savior and King, I know that you're at work bringing new growth in us from the seed of your word. So we pray today that your parables continue to speak in our hearts and our lives about your kingdom that's so different from any of earth. Remind us today of the joy it is to be yours, to be found by you, to be saved by you, to be called by you. Show us how you're calling us to cooperate with you 
and kneading the yeast into the dough and nourishing the seeds as we seek where your kingdom is at work in us. You alone are our king. Remind us of the joy and the wonder of seeing you alive and at work in us. Holy Spirit, show us what you're growing in us and what you're growing us to be, that we too may become in your hands your blessing to shelter and to nourish the world by your grace. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.